trials and temptations. Well, this past week, as I was uh, preparing today's sermon, today's message, uh, two words leapt off the page, and it was, it was almost like they were begging for my attention, trials and temptations. As you uh, may have noticed, uh, they function rather prominently in the passage you just heard from the book of James, and if you're anything like me, when you hear those words, trials and temptations, when you think about them, trials and temptations... Uh, a number of questions begin to form in your mind. Uh, questions like, uh, what are these two things exactly? What, what makes a trial a trial, and what makes a temptation a temptation? Uh, do these two things overlap? How are they different? Is God responsible for one or, or both of them? And then perhaps, most importantly of all, What does it look like to navigate these things in the context of the Christian faith? Trials and temptations. You know, once again, if you're uh, anything like me, it's about this point uh, that a number of answers to at least some of those questions begin to form in your mind, and and then you begin to think about uh, what these kind of experiences look like in the lives of yours and mine. You know, this past week, uh, that's exactly what happened to me. I began to think about uh, these two stories that I've told in sermons uh, the past six months. One about trials and one about temptations. You know, uh, this isn't the place to belabor all the details of those stories, but, but rather briefly, uh, the story about trials was a story about a woman in my former congregation. Uh, her daughter uh, attended our preschool, and I got to know her Uh, Because very tragically, her husband had committed suicide. You know, the the trials that she faced were the trials of, of what does it look like to navigate this in the context of the Christian faith? What does it look like to, to raise two kids without their dad? What does it look like to pursue a career as a single mom? Trials. And, and I use this to illustrate uh, the power of what Christ can do, that, that, he, uh, that he carried her through and strengthened her in the midst of the very worst. And then there's the story about temptations. And, and this is the story that we heard last December as we entered into the season of Advent. It's uh, the story of, of Adam and Eve, the story of these two people who had everything that they could have ever wanted, everything except for that one thing, from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And that's uh, the point in the story when when sin wells up inside of them and it drives a wedge between them and God. You know, I used uh, that image, the image of a wedge, uh, to paint a picture of what sin, and more specifically what temptation has the power to do, uh, to drive a wedge between us and God. To drive a wedge between us and one another, and, and even to drive a wedge between us and ourselves. You know, maybe these uh, two stories about trials and temptations begin to call to mind uh, a number of different stories from your own life. And maybe they begin to illustrate what makes a trial a trial, what makes a temptation a temptation, and what it looks like to navigate these things in the context of the Christian faith. You know, if that's the case, uh, then I want to share one more detail with you. That detail is this. The Greek word that gets translated into English as trials is the exact same Greek word, although in its verb form, 
that gets translated into English as temptation. And I don't know about you, but at least for me, uh, that throws a wrench into all of these nice, neat, tiny little compartments that I have in my head. And it also drives me deeper into the reading that we just heard. You know, as uh, we go there, I think uh, it will not only reveal uh, what these two things are, what it looks like to navigate them in the context of the Christian faith, but it will also show us our need for and the power of Jesus in lives like yours and mine. Now, you see, it brings us uh, to the book of James, and this is where a word or two about that book, and especially its author, is really helpful for us. Uh, because we encounter a number of different Jameses in the New Testament. I mean, you may remember that two of Jesus' disciples go by the name of James. You've got James, the son of Zebedee, uh, who also happens to be the brother of John, who writes the Gospel of John and the letters of John and the Revelation according to John. Uh, but you've also got James, the son of Alphaeus. And yet the James who writes today's letter is neither of these men. Now, the James who writes today's letter is uh, the half-brother or the step-brother of Jesus. And so he is either a child that Mary and Joseph have uh, at some point after the birth of Jesus, or uh, he is a child uh, that Joseph brings to their marriage. And yet when you read the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you, you don't learn a whole lot about this James. You know, all that changes uh, when you get to the New Testament. You see there, uh, we learn in 1 Corinthians 15 that Jesus visits James after the resurrection. He visits Peter and the women. He visits the apostles and the 500. And then he visits James, his brother. And we also learn uh, that Paul visits James. And when he does, it's a pretty big deal. You see, it's one of the first things that Paul does after his conversion in time in Arabia. He goes up to Jerusalem and he visits two people. He visits Peter, uh, who is often known as being the head of the disciples. And he visits James, the brother of our Lord. And it, it begins to paint this picture of someone who, who must have been pretty important in the early church. And when we get to the book of Acts, uh, that's exactly what we see. You see, uh, when Peter miraculously escapes from prison in the city of Jerusalem, recorded in Acts chapter 12, what does he do? He goes and he makes sure that James knows about it. And then in Acts 15, a couple of chapters later, when the church in Jerusalem convenes the first council, when they're addressing this problem, what should we do with the Gentile Christians? Should we circumcise them or not? A whole bunch of people speak at this council, but James settles the matter. You see, it refines our picture even more of who James is, uh, that when it comes to the Christians living in Jerusalem, James plays a rather significant role. You might even say that James serves as their pastor. And, and many scholars believe that this is why James lights, writes the letter he does. You see, uh, in Jerusalem, there has been a persecution, and the Christians living in the city of Jerusalem have fled the city. And so James, their pastor, writes a letter to them. 
And that's why the book of James is addressed to the 12 tribes of the dispersion, because that's where these Christians living in Jerusalem have gone. And that's also why the book of James doesn't read a whole lot like the other books that you'll encounter in the New Testament. And that's because uh, the goal of the book of James isn't uh, to tell you what you should believe about Jesus. Uh, Because the Christians who are living in Jerusalem and are now scattered, they already know what to believe about him. That he died on the cross and rose again. Uh, That his death and resurrection have the power to overcome sin, death, and the devil. And that faith, faith in him is a gift. And it is freely given to people like you and me. And so the book of James doesn't read like other books that you'll encounter in the New Testament because its goal isn't to tell these Christians who have scattered, and Christians like us, what we should believe about Jesus, but rather its goal is to show us what it looks like as we respond to him. And so in this way, it it reads a whole lot like uh, the book of Proverbs, or Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as it addresses things like trials and temptations and what it looks like to navigate them in lives like mine and yours. And so James opens this letter with these very powerful words. Consider it pure joy, James writes. Consider it pure joy when you experience trials of any kind, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, I recently uh, came across uh, the story of a missionary uh, who had spent much of his time serving in the former Soviet Union. You see, he had uh, served as a missionary uh, in communist Czechoslovakia, and as as a Christian and as a missionary living in communist Czechoslovakia, you can probably imagine that he suffered a great deal for his faith. And yet, as uh, as I learned about his time as a missionary, as he shared about some of his experiences both before and after the fall of communism, I was a little surprised to learn his observations about it, that while it was difficult to be a Christian under communism, it was even more difficult to be a Christian without it. At least under communism, he writes, uh, we had a clear perception of the enemy Today, he goes on, the enemy isn't so clear. And with increasing affluence, jealousy has reared its ugly head. And and looking back, he concludes, I realize that we, we had opportunities under communism that are now closed to us. You know, on the surface, uh, his observations seem a little counterintuitive to me. Uh, that, that uh, while it was difficult to be a Christian under communism, it was even more difficult to be a Christian without it. And yet, uh, the more I think about what he has to say, the more I realize that what he says might just be true. You see, uh, the things uh, that I so often want, a nice, easy, comfortable life, these are the kind of things that can trip me up, and even more than that, my faith the most. And yet the things I don't want, uh, a hard, challenging, difficult life, these are the kind of things that can strengthen me and the kind of faith that I have in Christ. 
You see, it's this reality, the reality that, that our circumstances shape not only our lives, but our faith that James addresses today. Uh, that, that the circumstances in our lives can become a, a temptation, this thing that causes a wedge between us and God, and that the circumstances in our lives can also serve as trials that, that draw us closer to him. And this, this is how two English words, trials and temptations, can share the same Greek root. And this is why uh, the noun form of that word is trials, the thing that we experience. And the verb form of that word is, uh, has a number of different meanings, one of which we encounter today, which means to tempt or, or to drive a wedge between two things or to, to separate them. You know, probably we don't have to think long and hard about our lives to think about how this is the case, that every single circumstance in our lives has the power to drive a wedge between us and God. I mean, this is how uh, families can go on road trips or summer vacations and find themselves getting into fights in the midst of it all. Now, this is how the end of communism can make Christianity harder and not easier. And, and this is how uh, some of the most painful experiences that we can have in our lives can be caused by those we most deeply love. And what James tells us today, what James reminds us today, is that these things, these kind of temptations, they aren't caused by God. They're the result of something uh, that starts inside of us. They're our own doing. We're, we're responsible for them. And, and what we know from other places in Scripture is that if it weren't for Jesus— if it weren't for God sending his son into our world, if it weren't for God intervening in our lives, these things would mean the end of us. And yet what we also learn in other places of scripture is that this is just how big God's love is. That he loves us so much he would send his son into this world, that he loves us so much that he would let his son die on a cross, that he would raise him again to forgive and to overcome these things that he never caused. Now, if you remember from a little earlier, uh, temptation and temptations aren't the only impact uh, that the circumstances in our lives can have on us, and even more so, on our faith. If you remember, uh, James opens his letter by saying, consider it pure joy when you experience trials of any kind, because the testing of your faith produces perseverance. You know, that word uh, testing, uh, it's, it's an interesting word for me because it's a word uh, that the silversmiths in James's day would have used. Uh, they would have used it uh, when they were testing silver. And the way they uh, would test silver is they would put a bunch of silver into a pot and then they would heat it up with a fire until it got really hot and the, the silver would melt and the impurities would rise to the surface. And then the silversmith, they would, they would scoop those impurities or the dross off of the surface and they would heat it up again and they would do this over and over and over again until the, the silver was tested or, or pure. And the way that these silversmiths would know that the silver was tested is that they would look down into this melted silver 
And when they could see their reflection, their face in the surface of the silver, they would know that it was pure. You know, it gives us a, a beautiful picture of what the circumstances in our lives have the power to do because the circumstances in our lives, they have the power to become this temptation, this thing that drives a wedge between us and God, but they also have this power to draw us closer to Jesus and to make us more like him. And this is why at the beginning of today's reading, James writes, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial. You see, there is only one person who has perfectly persevered, and that person is Jesus. And yet, as we persevere, as we experience trials of any kind, as we find our faith tested, we are made more like Jesus. And so when you find yourself under trial in the circumstances of of lives like mine and yours, these words from the book of James are written for you. So that the circumstances in your life wouldn't become temptations that push you away from Jesus, but opportunities that draw you close. Uh, So that these things would, would refine your faith that just like Jesus, you might persevere and that one day, you would receive the crown of life, which Jesus has promised to people like you and me. And that crown is our eternal reward. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.